You're listening to the Lidl Adventist Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Ryan Vido explores what we can learn from the Star of Bethlehem. Well, happy Sabbath, church. It's happy for some. It's Christmas, guys. It's always a happy time of the year. Um, like Rob mentioned in, uh, the, in his pastors, but just, I'm just wondering, is anybody here feeling the fatigue of the week? Does anybody, keep your hands up if you're, you're glad it's Sabbath. Amen. Yeah, oh man, I'm feeling it. It's been a, a long week. I really do love this time of year, but it's just so busy. Um, I've been involved in Road to Bethlehem, got to act a little bit. Um, and then there was uh, my family that we went and visited in Canada. They've come and visited us. I've been squeezing them in, writing sermon, finishing schools. It's just all happening. I just thought I'd share with you a few interesting statistics from Road to Bethlehem for those of you who are interested, but as of Thursday night, uh, donations ran to the tune of $28,944. That's just donations. Food sales ran to the tune of $37,430. Now, just to give you some idea, together that money, and I believe more has come in, but all that money makes up for about 70% of the total running cost of this event. So you can see uh, it's such a big event. And if you didn't go, we really encourage you to go because a lot of work, a lot of effort goes into this. Um, Now that just lets me segue into uh, what's happening next week here at church. But next week, we're going to have our Christmas program, which promises to be good because I will once again uh, reprise my role as Joseph. Uh, I've got a lot of lines to learn this week. (laughs) But um, please come, please encourage your friends and families to come along. It is a great time of the year to uh, invite people to church. This is a time where people's hearts are just naturally more open and receptive to the story of Jesus. And uh, pardon, there's two services. Uh, It's not like last year where it was a sort of a a one-two punch kind of thing. It's two uh, services like we often have. Um, But you know, what I do find interesting is that this is a time of year where you can have conversations about Jesus. I find myself uh, preparing this sermon this week, and um, my wife's cousin staying with us, like I've mentioned, the one we went to visit in Canada earlier this year, and now they're back in uh, Melbourne to visit us. And um, my wife's cousin, uh, she doesn't really go to church anymore, and her partner was not raised in church, but... uh, we were able to discuss my sermon and I was able to bounce ideas. And I really do find that this is a time when people are receptive to the story and the message of Jesus. Now, I want to focus on a particular aspect of the Christmas story this morning. And uh, if you saw in your bulletins, um, my sermon title today is Star of Wonder, Star of Bright. And if you can't guess what I'm talking about tonight, then you need to go home. Uh, But I am talking about the star of Bethlehem this morning. Such an interesting part of the Christmas story. And for those of you who journeyed on the road to Bethlehem up at Edinburgh College, the very last scene happens in the manger. But before you get there, you look up outside of the Edinburgh College gym and you see this uh, LED star. And uh, I almost missed it myself. But it it reminded me that I need to look up. And I, and I was thinking to myself about this story. You know, once upon a time, uh, in a world where there was no uh, light pollution, it would have been very easy to just gaze up in the night sky 
and just see all of the wonderful things God has put in, in the universe for us to look at. And I want to talk into particularly what makes this star so special. Why is this star so significant? And so we're going to do a little bit of a historical uh, uh, journey. Um, I need to really run through this one because I had a lot of content I had to cut out. And even then, you know me, I go a little bit longer. Um, so I need to really punch this one. But our journey today actually begins with a scientist, Kepler. Kepler is a scientist from the 1600s, and he loved to watch the planets, the stars in motion. And this is the guy who develops many of the laws of planetary motion that we still apply today. And so we know, uh, you know the laws of gravity as Isaac Newton's laws of gravity. Well, Kepler developed three main laws that NASA to this day still uses. Crazy stuff, right? Um, that that his, uh, his science, his math was so accurate that we still use it to this very day. So Kepler develops these three laws of planetary motion or, or movements of bodies in space. And being in the Christian European world that he was, he wanted to take his science and find the star of Bethlehem. And so Kepler, with his, with his equations, with his math, said, you know, I can calculate the position of any star at any point in history because stars, what you need to know, and planets, they move like clockwork. They are predictable. They move on the same path and they don't deviate from their movements. And so you can basically predict where a star will end up in 100 years, 200 years, but at the same, on the same token, you can also look back and figure out exactly where stars could be situated. So he takes his math and says to himself, I am going to find this star. But unfortunately, Kepler dies never being able to find this star. And the reason seems to be because there had been a flaw in the translation of the, of the Jewish historian Josephus' writings. I told you, this is a bit of a historical journey. We're in the 1600s, now we're going to about the first century AD. Josephus is a Jewish uh, officer, and as the Romans are pressing on Jerusalem and are going to destroy this city, uh, Josephus finds himself outside of the city and trapped by Romans. And there his uh, fellow soldiers make a pact that they are going to kill themselves uh, rather than being taken by the Romans. Josephus turns out to be one of two men who did not go through with the suicide. And Josephus, uh, in turn for the Romans sparing his life, now gives over information about the Jews. And the Jewish uh, people don't like him for this and the Romans celebrate him and they take him back to Rome. Now Josephus, in order to get back into the good books of his Jewish people, decides to write a history of all of the Jewish peoples. And this is where we get Josephus' writings from. This is where we get his histories. Now there are many cool things that you can get out of his writings. Uh, it's not a very light read, uh, not light reading material. Um, but one of the things that Josephus seemed to say was that King Herod, the King Herod of the Jesus story, died in the year 4 BC. And this was the date with which Kepler took to look for Jesus' uh, star. He took uh, the year 4 BC and worked backwards because obviously Herod died a, few, a year or two maybe before Jesus was born. 
So, you know, Kepler's looking, but he couldn't find it. Now, history shows and records show um, uh, Josephus's writings are kept in the, uh, the Library of London. And a historian has discovered that when uh, Josephus's writings were being uh, printed into English, a typesetting error occurred. And instead of putting the year 1 BC when Herod died, the number four was placed. And so Kepler had been operating from a bad foundation to begin with. That added with modern technology, we have scientific models. Scientists have been able to go now and actually plug a lot of this data in. Now, I need to make a, a, a little caveat statement. I am largely borrowing from the works of a guy called Frederick Larson, who did a lot of work into researching this. He decided to, he was asked to run a class on why is the Bible believable? And this was the path he went down. And so with these corrections, he plugged this information into some software, which you and I can easily access on the internet. And he decided to, he decided to start to look. He decided to look for the clues to see what was this star. And so this sets us up to understand sort of the story of finding the star of Bethlehem so far in history. Now, before we go any further, I want to spend a little bit of time about talking the difference between astrology and astronomy. Astrology is a practice that in the Bible is condemned, straight out. Um, in Job 31, we won't go there, but in Job 31 verses 26 to 28, uh, the story goes, well, we see this, this condemnation of, of, of this practice, okay, of astrology, reading too much into the stars. Astronomy, on the other hand, is just observing what planets are doing, what stars are doing. There are a few different classes. But we are going to pick up our, 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 our Bible study this morning in Job, Job chapter 9. And what I want to do in Job chapter, we've got a few passages in Job, two in fact. Job's one of the oldest books of the Bible, we believe anyway. And there it's interesting to see that from uh, this oldest book of the Bible, we have words from God himself telling us that he has given us stars as a mechanism to sort of understand him better. So Job chapter 9 verse 9 reads, He, and that's God, he is the maker of the bear. And in brackets, that's Ursa Major. That's this constellation. And Orion, the Pleiades, and the constellations of the south. So here we have this declaration that God has set constellations. Very interesting. We're going, to, we're going to talk about a few constellations today. Constellations of clusters of stars that make a picture, if you will. So we see this. God is attributed at creating constellations, placing stars. Later in Job, Job 38, so turn it with, with me a few chapters down. In Job 38 uh, and verse 31 to 32... God now speaks to Job. You know, Job is questioning God and his relationship with him. And this is what God has to say to Job. Job, can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Can you tie all of these things up, these, this constellation? Can you loose the cords of Orion, another famous constellation? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? God wants Job to know that he is the one who is responsible for everything. And there's a whole lot more that we could have read, but for our, uh, all intents and purposes, 
God wants Job to know, I hold all of this stuff above your head together, okay? So God is the one who holds the power of the stars in his hands. Now, I'm just going to quickly go through this. We don't have time to turn, but I'm going to read this for you. In Isaiah 40 and chapter, uh, chapter 40 and verse 26, we read, Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? It's he who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Isaiah wants his reader to know that God carefully arranges each of the stars one by one. Later, uh, sorry, earlier in the Bible, Psalms chapter 19, David again makes an affirmation. Psalm chapter 19 and verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. You hear that? They declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Here's where it gets interesting. Verse 2. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Day after day, as you look to the stars, they communicate. Huh. Interesting. Night after night, they, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. That's David's way of saying there's no place on planet Earth where people will look up to the stars and not feel like God, the divine, is trying to communicate to them. Verse 4, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. David wants his readers to know that God has used this as a means of communication. Not in an, uh, an, an astrological sense, but there are things that God tries to convey through the stars. And this is interesting because Paul quotes this particular passage in Romans chapter 10. In Romans 10 verses 17 to 18, he says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. This is a passage we're familiar with. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, Paul says, I'm asking a question. Did they, this is the Jews, did they not hear? Did they not hear the message that God's been trying to speak to them? Of course they did. And this is where he quotes David. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that the Jewish people had no excuse for missing the coming of the Messiah. And one of the reasons they had no excuse because it was not just in prophecy. It was not just in the pages of the Bible. It was not just evident through the miracles and the life of Jesus, but it was also somehow evident through things that could be observed in the starry host. He quotes David, and David is making a specific reference to the stars being a source of information. Jesus himself says in Luke 21 and verse 21, 21 and 25, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. Now, I know I can see some of your faces. You're looking a little uncomfortable. Where's he going with this? I want to read this statement, Deuteronomy 4.19. When you look up to the skies and see the sun, moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down. Let's make that clear. We are not here to elevate 
planets and stars into, in, onto a level that the Bible doesn't want us to. But we do need to acknowledge that it does seem to make uh, some room to look up and hear a message from God. So let's now go to our story about the star of Bethlehem. So turn with me in your Bibles to this story in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to walk through Matthew chapter 2 very slowly so we can get as much clue, as many clues, sorry, and as much evidence as possible as to what this star could possibly be all about. All right. So Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to just sort of read a little bit of a verse, pause, and we'll continue on. So we're going to start collating a bit, a few clues that we see in this passage about the star. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 begins, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. So we have a historical point of reference now to look for this star. It's during the time of King Herod. So we can date that. Okay, Herod dies in the year, as we've seen, in approximately 1 BC. Okay, so that means Jesus should have been born a year or two before that. Okay, so looking at around, we're looking in the skies at around 2, 3 BC. The verse continues, uh, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So if you went to road to Bethlehem, or as you're going to sing with me at the very end of this message, we usually think they're these three wise men, but in fact, uh, a pastor of this church actually clarified this to me. Matthew Hunter was here many years ago. I want to read what he wrote on Facebook. He, he, has this, he likes to drop little pearls of wisdom every now and then. Here's what he had to write about the Magi. The Magi, the wise men, were a priestly caste from Parthia. So Parthia is like where ancient Babylon, Persia was. Uh, they now were known as the Parthians at this point in history. And this was Rome's number one enemy in the day. Not only do we, uh, uh, sorry, not only do we not know how many there were, but they also traveled uh, one of the most dangerous routes into enemy territory. So the, the journey that our wise men make, it, it, it's no small road trip, okay? Um, they would have had a massive caravan of people with them, probably offering a little bit of protection as well as creature comforts. The Bible says all Jerusalem, not just King Herod, were worried when they came asking where the new king was. Herod wasn't just worried about his throne, uh, but he was also worried about World War III breaking out. We have some enemies of Rome coming into Jerusalem. This is causing a major stir. There isn't just this star that's going on. We often don't appreciate the magnitude of these wise men arriving to the country. Now, some people believe, and I, this is kind of where I sort of, uh, I sort of my, my thoughts are, there's a lot of speculation as to who the Magi are and why are these people interested in Jewish things. Uh, probably one of the more popular hypotheses are that these are wise men who were trade, trained sorry, in the tradition of Daniel. Remember Daniel and his friends moved to Babylon and are there in exile. And it doesn't seem like they ever return to Jerusalem. And could it be that there Daniel establishes a, a sort of a school that is kind of more in the vein of Yahweh as opposed to the Babylonian gods? And so it seems that there is a group of men who've been training and they continue to make 
the Hebrew Scriptures the foundation of all their learning. Matthew 2, verses 2 continues and says, uh, they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? It's a very strange question to ask if you have no Jewish connection or no Jewish interest, okay? These men seem to have some kind of a connection, okay? So from these things, we can establish that uh, these men seemed to believe that there was something Well, it seems that they had evidence that there was a birth that was coming or had come. This birth was also seems to to allude to kingship. And this king is also a Jewish king. Somehow these magi, these wise men, have been able to determine this. And this is what we get in these two verses so far in Matthew chapter 2. Let's continue. We continue to the next part of verse 2, and it says, We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. This star, the reason why they believe this king, this is a king, there's a star, and it seems to point to a Jewish king. Now, it says, We saw his star in the east, and really, if you really pass the Greek, it's saying that it, 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 the star rose in the east, kind of like the sun rises in the east. And so what that does for us, it immediately rules out that this was a comet or an asteroid because asteroids and comets can come from many different directions. Well, it doesn't immediately rule it out, but if it was an asteroid or a comet, it must come from the east. And stars seem to fit that pretty well. We continue in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, like I said, the Magi just coming to the city alone would have, would have been enough of a reason for people to get their, their feathers you know, in a fluster. But 60 years earlier in Rome, Magi actually came to that great city and somehow in the stars, well, I'm not sure, I, I read this in my research, but somehow 60 years earlier, Magi came to Rome and said, we believe there is another prophecy. It's not about Jesus, this one. But in a similar vein, they believed that there was a prophecy pointing to a new king. And as a result of that prophecy, many little boys were slaughtered to, to, to eradicate a potential threat to a new king, to a new Caesar. And so you can understand when Jerusalem gets in a fluster because history has shown that Romans do some crazy things when their rule is threatened. You're following with me? So there's many reasons why the city of Jerusalem could have gotten to a fluster. We've got these magi. History has shown that these, these you know, Romans do some weird things when there's a threat of a new king. Um, and it seems that you know, the time was pregnant. People were talking about this. This was sort of the thing that was going on. I remember the year 2000, everybody was talking, is the internet going to break down? Are we going to, like, a plane's going to drop out of the sky? And there was this sort of tense atmosphere before the year 2000. And it seems that that time in history, there was a little bit of angst. People felt like something was happening, but they couldn't put their finger on it. Does this all add to, to that feeling in Jerusalem in that year? We continue. Verse 4 and 6. When he had called together all the people's chief priests, the teachers of the law, he asks them, this is Herod, where the Christ was to be born. Herod's doing the math. Where is this guy? What do the prophecies say? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, 
for this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Herod takes this seriously. And if you, if, if for just a little bit of background, Herod's kind of connected to the Jewish people, but he kind of isn't. And it seems when he goes to the priest, he's actually asking for some real information. Can, I, I'm, I'm serious, guys. I never read my Bible, but what does your scriptures say? He wants to know where this threat is going to be. What can he do about it? Verse 7 continues, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out for them the exact time the star had appeared. So we get a few more clues from these passages. It seems that the star appeared at an exact time. Okay? And also, it seems that Herod wasn't fully aware when that star appeared. So this is a significant event, but it seems significant to the point where you need to be a little bit book smart to know what you're looking at. Does that make sense? Yesterday, in law, uh, yesterday my brother-in-law was helping me around the house and I had to change a, uh, a washer on the tap and I changed it wrong. And so my whole house or my whole ensuite was flooding. Never ask me to help you with plumbing, guys. Uh, but, you know, he comes in, he's a gas plumber, and he can do this, and he's like, Ryan, you, everything you could have done wrong, you did wrong. I'm like, oh, thank you. Okay, yeah, sometimes it helps to have people who know what they're talking about to help you understand things that you have no idea about. And this is exactly what's happening in this story. So Herod doesn't know what he's looking at. Things are happening, strange things. We continue, the last part of the story that we're going to focus on. Verses 8 and 9. So he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the west went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. So what we get from this passage is that this star must have been moving for a while. Because these magi have been able to travel from Persia, which is not a short journey, would have taken weeks, if not months. So it's been around for a while. And when they get to Jerusalem, somehow when they look, now if you don't know, Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem. It's only a short walk. It's five miles. It's like a you know, 10 minute drive. But it's directly south. And so when they continue their journey, this star appears in the south sky. So this is another clue. And then the other clue we have, the ninth clue, is that this star stops. Now that seems strange, but I'm going to explain to it. I've got to run, run, run. So what is this star? I'm going to cut to the chase. But the star seems to have been the planet Jupiter in motion. Now we know that Jupiter is not in fact a star, but to, the, to these first century eyes, it would have appeared as a star. We know that it's a planet, the largest planet in our solar system, so much so that it's known as the king planet. The Romans knew Jupiter as Rex, king, and the Babylonians called Jupiter Sharu, which also means king. So here we have a kingly planet, and this kingly planet does a few strange things. I'm going to, here's my little models for today. These are 
These are from the, the kitchen. So kitchen ladies, remind me to return these. But I want you to imagine these are our planets. Now, planets move in a predictable motion often. But depending on your position, it may not always look like they are moving in a constant straight line. And there's this phenomenon that astronomers know as called retrograding. And this has got me really interested. I want to buy a telescope now. But depending on your position, it may look like a star actually can go backwards. It may also do a few other crazy things. It's just like when you're driving on the freeway and you're Pastor Ryan, you're running late for church and you're driving faster than you should. The person behind you may seem like they are going backwards, but it's just because I'm accelerating at a faster rate. And depending on my position, it will also look, you can see various things. So that needs to be something we keep in the back of our minds as we come to understand this. So we have Jupiter. Now, Jupiter is this kingly planet, and it's going to have to do a few interesting things to meet our nine requirements. I'm going to read to you two scriptures. Genesis 49, verses 9 to 10. It says, you are a lion's club, O Judah. This is uh, Joseph putting a blessing onto his kids before he dies. And he says to his son, Judah, you are a lion's club, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down. And like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. What's interesting about this, this, this particular passage is it predicted that Judah would be the tribe from which the Messiah came. Now, it doesn't specifically say to look to the stars, but in the year 3 BC, Jupiter does a very interesting thing. You see, as it's journeying across the sky, it passes a star called Regulus. And then it comes back and passes Regulus again. And Regulus was a, is, a, is a word basically in its simplest form, which means royalty. You have the king planet going past the king's star. And I didn't know this, but this is so cool. But Regulus is the brightest star in the constellation of Leo. So we have this interesting phenomenon happen. So as we have our Magi in, in, in Persia looking to the east sky, they see, and this is happening over days, they see Jupiter doing its thing. But then Jupiter decides to do something it doesn't often, it does do it from time to time. And maybe if you were a, a, a smart person, you would see something like this maybe a couple of times in your life. It comes back and it makes a pass to a specific star, Regulus. And then it comes back again. And it makes three passes past this Regulus star, the brightest star in the Leo constellation. Now remember, the Bible points that you can read things from the stars. Don't, don't attribute worship or anything, but can messages be determined? And it seems that this is an event that would have stuck out because it was just so weird. Jupiter often passes planets, but not this close and not that often. Now, if you're familiar with the Jewish scriptures, this starts to stand out to your mind. Revelation, a passage that we're very familiar with, also has a very interesting passage about stars. Revelation chapter 12, and this is a 
We've all out, if you're a Bible scholar, you'd know this very well. Revelation chapter 12, verse one says, a great wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. It seems in the summer or in the year 3 BC, whilst this, then, you know, astro, astro, astronomers, I can't use the wrong term, astronomers called this a coronation because Jupiter comes, it does this funny little halo, like look at this star, and then it continues on its way. Now, whilst this was happening, you have a constellation that we know Virgo, represents the Virgin. Now here in Revelation, we're told a wondrous sign appeared in the heaven. In the year 3 BC, as this is going on, you start to see Virgo emerging in the, in the sun, in, in the sky, with the sun right behind her. Not only was this happening at the same time this coronation was taking place, but there was a new moon that was also at her feet. Crazy stuff. I had a video I wanted to show you. It wasn't very good quality. You don't have to take my word. You can look this up on Google. And so this is really strange stuff. Are you, are you, are you following with me? Yeah, you guys are a little bit shocked. <laughs> I can see. Some strange stuff was happening. Now, as Seventh-day Adventists, we like to take a historical approach to the, the, the study of Revelation. And I got to say, I think nothing could get more historical than looking at what the planets were doing at this point in time in history. John looks back and says something happened at the birth of Jesus and something in fact did. The planets were sending a message. God was sending a message that something significant was taking place. And so we have all of these interesting things happening. Now, as I mentioned, Jupiter does this crazy thing. We have Regulus. He goes, hey, look, there's this constellation Leo and here's a king star. Here's a king planet. We're going around, I want it, guys, something's happening. And as this finishes, Jupiter continues on his way. Leaves, leaves Leo, leaves Regulus behind. And as, as Jupiter moves, something interesting happens. Venus, the planet, starts to move through the sky. And for a brief moment in history, it looks like the two planets become one. And historians say that this was one of the brightest things that would have made, been in the night sky. And it was very, very strange. When you look into the computer software, you zoom in, it almost looks like they make a figure eight. And this would have really stood out. I'm going back to my brother-in-law, but he's, he came to help me change some light globes in my house yesterday, changing to LED, electricity efficient. And one globe is enough to do the work of four lights that we previously had and he only replaced two, and we have four in the whole area. And he says, Ryan, you're really not gonna need to replace all four of these because it's bright. I'm like, really? And he turned it on, and we're just like, whoa, can't look at that. And we have another two more to put in. And I can only imagine what it must have been like to see this. Now, I need to make it clear that it's probably that the Magi are observing this. They haven't left yet, okay? And as they see this, they're like, whoa, 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 this is crazy. Things are happening, okay? Now, I, I'm not gonna read too much into this, but this is what some Bible theorists say. 
They believe this event, when Venus and Jupiter came, they believe that this might have been God sending a message that this is when Mary came with child. You have a king planet meeting Venus, which is often used as a symbol for femininity. And so they think something happened here. I'm not going to read into that too much one way or another. But this guy's been able to, to plug some numbers, and he reckons he could calculate certain things. I'm not into number setting myself, but it's really interesting. Now, I've got to wrap this up, but I wanted you to see this morning that in our simple Christmas story, a lot more is happening than shepherds in the fields, Mary and Joseph on a donkey. For this story to happen, follow with me, God needed to set some things up way, 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 way back in history. First Bible-believing Christians, some of you, if you're new, as Seventh-day Adventists, we believe in a literal six-day creation and a seventh day of rest. But we're told that, that the universe, a lot of it was already in existence. God, at some undetermined, unknown point in history, set a lot of these things up and he had an exact time, an exact point when he knew that his son would be needed in human history. And I want you to see, friends, that this Christmas story is important. It's important because God's had you in his mind for eternity past. He has set a message in our plans. And these things have been going on for hundreds and thousands of years. Who knows how long some of these larger constellations have been hanging around. But God wants you to know in the stars, he sent a message that you are significant. You are important. So much so, he is sending his son to come and make a difference in your life. Is that exciting? Yeah, we should, we should, we should be excited. Now this story continues, but I'm going to save the rest of that story for Easter. Because interesting things start to happen at Easter 30 years later. You guys might be able to get the spoiler if you look it up yourself. But man, there's some exciting things that God wants to communicate. We hold the Bible as our most sacred revelation of God. But guys, God uses other means to communicate to us. 